Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 8.05 to 9 p.m. every Thursday on Village Connection Radio. Arriba! To another special Saturday edition of Monty and the Pharaoh. Usually see on Village Connection Radio on Thursdays, 8.05 to 9 p.m. I'm Mike Monty. At the board is producer extraordinaire Stephen Miller. To my right is the Pharaoh. And our special guest, our honor, the living legend, Mr. Larry Zabisco. Larry! Thank you. Thank you. Why are we all wearing sunglasses? No, why not? Part of the shtick, right? Right. I got the lights in me. So. You actually look better than we do. It's he's, he's now part of the faction. Thank you. Whatever Thank the you. Faction is. You just uh, you just came from the big event in Queens, right? Yeah. How was it? It was big. A lot. Of <laughs> well, there you go. All right. I mean, there was a lot of people. Sardine City. Or? Yeah, and they had you know one floor and then another floor. All right. But very big, and they had a lot of guys there. Okay. Yeah, Anybody I, you ran into? You know what? I mean, like... most of the guys I see once in a while. You okay. know, Nash and Hall and some others. They were there? But one guy I saw I haven't seen in over 20 years, probably Ken Patera. Yeah. Oh, Ken, wow. Kenny was there. Nice. How does Kenny great. look? He looks fine for being Ken Patera. Yeah, <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> I love Ken Patera. Yeah, he, he was, was a classic. We had some fun times in the old Is days. he in the Hall of Fame? He is not in the Can we start fame. making trouble already? Right. He is well, how is he not in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. He I know nothing. I see Say nothing. about that, Larry. Thank you. <laughs> I'll make a call. <laughs> he should be. He was great. All right, Larry. We're going to kick this bad boy off, all right? So uh, here we go. Jimmy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and children of all ages, let me introduce you to born Lawrence Whistler, December 5th, 1951, what? from Chicago, Illinois. Well, you know, that's what they say. You don't have to confirm this, oh. okay? Is that, not, is that an untruth? <laughs> it could be. <laughs> you know? uh, better known by the ring name Larry Zabisco, 5'11", 233 listed, ladies and gentlemen. A former AWA heavyweight champion. Two times former AWA America's heavyweight champion. AWA Superstars of Wrestling World Heavyweight Championship. AWA Six-Man Tag Team Championship. Wow, there's a lot of honors here. Georgia Championship Wrestling, NWA National Heavyweight Champion two times. Uh, NWA Western State Heritage Championship. Was that with Wyndham? Yeah, Barry Wyndham. Yeah. Uh, WCW World Tag Team Championship with Arn Anderson, the Enforcers. World Television Champion in WCW. World Tag Team Championship with Arn Anderson. World Wrestling Federation, and then this is where it starts for me. Tag Team Championship with Tony Guerrilla. Yeah. And, of course, Hall of Fame WWE Class of 2015. Man, oh, man. That is some resume. Glad the world didn't end in 2012. I wouldn't have made it. <laughs> oh, my God. Imagine. This is true. Also, uh, PWI, Most Hated Wrestler. Oh, yeah. 1980. Most yes. Hated. And Feud of the Year with Bruno San Martino. 1980 PWI. Yeah. Absolutely. What didn't he do in 1980? Really, Larry, what haven't you done in the world of professional wrestling? You know what? I guess I kind of had a lucky career and did a lot of it. Because not only did I get the wrestling in, but when guys my age getting over 40, you know, and getting the knee surgeries and, and the promoters looking at younger guys and new guys, 
I fell into a beautiful position by accident, not wanting to, doing the broadcasting. Yeah. So then throughout the whole 90s, I did you know, 10 years of broadcasting, which gave me a, a connection to a whole new couple generations of younger fans and pulled off a couple classics with Regal and, of course, the New World Order against Hall and Bischoff saving Nitro. And mm. it, was, uh, it was good, so I kind of lucked out and... Didn't plan on becoming a broadcaster. I'll tell you that story. But it was, it's been a great career. It certainly has. Uh, so, uh, real quick, you've always been good on the mic. Since you're talking about the broadcast, so we'll jump way ahead and then we'll come back. Ah, good. All right. So, uh, are you ner- who offers you the position as a broadcaster, and do you feel you're capable of handling the mic? Right, because... <laughs> You know, in WCW, you're following the likes of uh, Gordon Soley, for example. Oh, yeah. Right? So that's got to be And JR and Shivani, were, they were great, both of them, and they were great. And Do you I, feel Shivani's underrated? Oh, probably. I mean, if anybody doesn't think Tony's great, I thought Tony, Tony was great. Tony's, Tony could um, relay excitement in his voice. Yeah, he was no, really yeah, good. Yeah, and he, has, um, he was great to work with, great guy. Yeah, they were both great. JR, Tony, Gordon, I started broadcasting. I worked with Gordon a little bit. He was funny. It was a good time. Did but, you have uh, to work on your style, or did you pretty much? You know what? It, I was blessed, I guess, with the gift of gift of gab. Gab, <laughs> and I learned the secret of psychology from the old timers of how to talk. You know, in 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 character, mm-hmm. but it came easy to me. And I remember doing the broadcasting. I, I had a little tape recorder with me, and if I went or even interviews during my career. I'd be going down the road listening to music, and I'd hear some song, The Stairway to Heaven. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd make a little note in my mind on my recorder. Hey, Stairway to Heaven. He went to climb the Stairway to Heaven. Bach, Winkle, I'm going to be on, you know. Right. And I'd make a note, and I'd come up and think about it. And then by the time the interviews came, I had this all big interview in my head already mm-hmm. about getting to Larry Land, trying to climb that Stairway to Heaven. You know, and take little things here and there. Sure. Well, who offers you the position in broadcast? Well, it's a. I was a Indian Forces, me and Art, whatever year that was, and uh, I wasn't big on tag teaming singles. I liked singles better, bigger star, more money. I liked working myself. You know. Yeah. Okay. But Art and me wound up tag teaming, and again, I was about forty, so I was starting to. And Art was great. I mean, me and Arn clicked. And even in those days when people were starting to chant boring and clotheslines were becoming a dime a dozen, me and Arn would walk out and the crowd would go, Whoa! I mean, you could feel the heat. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah. So we complimented each other. Arn was great. Yeah, and it complimented each yeah. other. Arn was great to, 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 to do tags, especially being around 40. So I enjoyed that. But then it became the Dangerous Alliance. And the politics changed. Bill Watts came in, started messing everything up. He's your favorite. No. You love a, Bill Watts. No, he's a goof. <laughs> he, he's, and he, he admits it, and he's proud of himself. He's right. proud to be an asshole. Right. So we, had, we, had some, <laughs> yeah. we had some classic run-ins, but it worked out okay. 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 But in those times, a Dangerous Alliance, I didn't want to be in a group, and Bill Watts wanted the new guys to come in like Eric Watts and beat everybody up. Oh, boy. So I... I, I lucked out and had a little cartilage tear in my knee. So I went, um, time out. And the company was great. TBS, they you know, paid for it. So I got a little knee surgery and knee cleaning. I never had a serious injury. Okay. I had some knee stuff, but it was just a little cartilage tears. I never blew anything. Okay. So while I was at home doing a little rehab with the knee, I get a call one day, and I can't remember the guy's name if it was Craig Leathers or not one of the executive producers in the production department, and asked me if I could come down and do a voiceover on some pre-taped shows because they just fired Jesse Ventura. Hmm. And Jesse was gone. And those are big big shoes to fill, right? Yeah, so yeah. Was a yeah, he was a big name, Jesse, with that stuff. So I went, well, okay, I'll come down. They were paying me to sit home and rehab, so I felt guilty. Mm-hmm. And this was the time when they were starting to give away money like candy. So I went down. And I voiced over a few shows that they had pre-taped, not thinking about anything. And the, the producer runs in, could have been Craig, if I think. He said, Larry, you're the greatest color man I've ever heard. We want to give you a job. We want, when you do the color. I said, what? 
And they probably already knew more shows were coming that I didn't even know about right. yet. And at first, you'd think, you know, whoa. At first, I went, Color Man? What? I'm supposed to be the living legend like Bruno. What the hell I wanted to be? Shivani? Right. You know, so at first, it kind of hit me wrong. Like, they should, you know, think of me as a big wrestling star, which was fading away. But now they want me to do the broadcasting. So at right. first, it was like, I I don't believe it. Right. Yeah. Kind of like an insult. You were, you were, a, little, you were a little taken aback by it. Yeah. What do you mean? But then I realized, uh, but then I started doing it. And it right. came easy to me. Yeah. And I, I approached it from the viewpoint of a, a fan with the emotion, because I was into it, but with the knowledge of mm-hmm. an expert who's been in there. Mm-hmm. And I also realized the broadcasting is really an underrated kind of position. Oh, yeah. Because they're always talking about the guys in the ring, the stars. Yep. And I was telling somebody, even the newer broadcasters starting off, giving them some points, but the broadcaster's job is really a very important job because they bring everything to life, all the hard work, the production, the injuries, the action. If the announcers aren't with it, they can... They can be just as yeah. critical as the match magic itself. Yeah, so the announcing is really an important job. And I was lucky it, it came easy to me. Right. And I uh, had to drop really the Larry Zabisco persona of being the complete a-hole. <laughs> Otherwise, because I... You I know co- what, though? You didn't lose your edge. Well, no, yeah, I, I would manage to lose do that. your edge, though. Yeah. You, you might have taken something off the bad guy fastball, perhaps, but you did not lose your edge. Yeah. And I think what's forgotten about, or not given enough credit, I won't say forgotten, but not given enough credit, is that when the NWO was first starting and didn't really have that definitive face of criticism against them, you were that face. Yeah. I'm the- you were the guy that was supplying the heat through your commentary towards the NWO. I thought that that was the New World stuff. Order. Absolutely. Odor. Odor. There you go. You were, you were murdering them week after week. You were giving them as much heat as they were generating. You were yeah. helping. So, Larry, were adding. Larry, when you great. were announcing, did you have the truck chirping in your ear or it was totally no, shoot? You know what? They would never say anything to me. Well, imagine that. And I would find out later. And then they told me, they said, Larry, you're better under pressure. And they would do things to me, like, not on purpose, but they wouldn't tell me anything on purpose. And Shivani would say something like, we have a new guy in, and Norman Smiley. And Tony would go, he's got him by the ropes, Larry, and he's doing his thing. What do you call that? And he'd leave me hanging. The big wiggle. And I went, <laughs> just out of the blue, I look, I'm going, the big wiggle? Oh the big God, wiggle! You? Oh, my God. So I, yeah, that was you? Yeah, that was That's me. hilarious. He, just, he, he took that and ran with it. Yeah, and it, be, would check afterwards? it became his thing. Oh, my God, it certainly did. And, uh, but that was, you know, Tony just said that and left me hanging on the live TV, but that popped in there. Right. So I was, under, I took it as a compliment. Under pressure, I was good. And then after the, I realized, you know, what an important job this really was, was. Right. And then being 45 and then 48 and then 50, I realized, gee, I'm getting more publicity than anybody, and I'm not getting yeah, hurt. With it. They're giving me more money than when I wrestled. It's a second career, right? I mean, yeah, and, in and, some I mean, ways. Yeah. It was great. It was. Uh, it worked. So it, it worked out great. I, I can't complain. And then the whole career winding up with the ending the way it did with the Hall of Fame, it was, yeah. it was a, the perfect ending to a, a, a great dream. Well, with every ending, there's a beginning. So let's sure. go to the beginning a little nice. bit. Nice. Um, what makes you want to become a professional wrestler? How does how, how do you decide? Look, this is what how I do I decide? It was in me, you know. I moved from Chicago to Pittsburgh. I was like thirteen. Are you a Steelers fan? No, <laughs> I never watch. I don't Interesting. watch. I don't watch sports. Interesting. Okay. You went to Penn State, though, right? Yeah. Interesting. I didn't care. Not big. I just sports, didn't want though. to get drafted. I wanted to be a wrestler. <laughs> okay. But I wasn't going to Vietnam, <laughs> so I went to Penn State. Yeah, good. They offered me a scholarship to go. Okay. But I hated college anyway. I wanted to hit the. I wanted to be a wrestler. When I was a kid, first moved to Pittsburgh, first time I saw wrestling, Chili Billy Cardilly and the you know, the wrestlers and the big hero was Bruno. And I went, my God, and he became my hero. And it wasn't just Bruno; it was the fact that good triumphed over evil. Right. It was the good guy beating the snot out of the bad guy. Right. 
which when I was a kid, even the TV shows, the good guys always out there, sure. the bad guys. The good guys were cool, not the sure. bad guys. Right. Got reversed later. <laughs> it sure did. <laughs> but um, so that intrigued me, you know, justice and beat up the bad guys and be a hero like Bruno. Sure. And so he became my hero. And when I was 16 and started driving, I found out where he lived. He lived four or five miles down the road from me. Okay. And uh, I would drive that way. I'd make a, a turn a little before the normal turn to go by his house. Okay. And one time I drove by his house, I saw him in the backyard one summer day, and it was hard to see because he had these big-ass hedges okay, that makes around sense. his property. With a, a little privacy for Bruno. Okay. Yeah, but I could barely see him. He was standing not by enough. His, <laughs> Yeah, not enough. He didn't get away. Not for Larry the Stalker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Larry the Stalker. I'm stalking this guy. Oh, my God. Okay, so and in the days before GPS, he found his house. I'm, yeah, I'm impressed. Yeah, my mother worked at a, did some volunteer work at a school where his kid went to school, and okay. she gave me the There you go. There you go. There's the connections. Yeah, it's a help. All right, so, so you see Bruno. I see him. I couldn't help but I stop the car and I start crawling through these hedges. I love it. <laughs> this is great. Okay. Oh, Crawl through the hedges was full of cuts and stickers. <laughs> that's great. Bugs. 16-year-old little kid with pimples. I'm coming through this guy's yard. And Bruno looks at me and I don't know how he kept a straight face. And in, in, in his prime, he was awesome looking. I mean, like a gorilla that shaved. Sure. I mean, sure. And I'm, I don't believe I was walking up to this guy through his yard, and he was standing there. Long story short, I introduced myself, was very polite, and he was very, like, a nice guy. It's amazing. I mean, very nice guy. You know, he didn't, you know, but this is the kind of guy Bruno was, and, I, and that happened a couple of times. Once in a while, I'd see him, I'd stop by, and he got to me, and we talked. Then he found out about my wrestling amateur career, and that okay. impressed him. And then I started working out with him in his basement with the weights and doing his workouts. How I feel the first time he said to you, why don't you come over, Walt? I was, well, I started, must have been like... Yeah, well, I had a mentor. Yeah. And the silly thing was, starting with Bruno as my mentor in the business, and me being 21 and just young and dumb, I had no idea of the power of the politics that I could have, or that he had, and how it worked. But, you know, being Bruno's protege made me really kind of an instant somebody in the business that was very tough. And I didn't even realize at that time that the the political thing where all the guys in those days that didn't want you in the business, you know, the old timers, so they could have a job, you know, Strongbow and Skolin and Monsoon. Did you find resistance from Strongbow? No, okay. they all love me. Heard all the stories well, about Chief Jerry. They, well, they, they all love you because the thing. you were brutal. They, they all right, loved right? me. You they all went out of their right. way to teach me okay. psychology, right. and they taught me how to work by the best guys that wouldn't tell anybody else. Right. Well, so Larry, but because I was Bruno's pro, I didn't, I didn't realize why everybody's being so nice. Right. Not well. Right. Not to make this about Strongbow, we had Lanny Poffo in a couple about two months ago. Whatever. Yeah. Something and like he said that. Strongbow used to give a lot of the new guys a hard time and purposely try to screw around with their career. Did you see that going on? No, because I wasn't there. I mean, after the early 80s, I left. Okay. When Jay became more like an agent. So I really yeah. don't know. But Jay was a business guy. So that, I mean, there's a lot of guys in the business that could come into business that shouldn't be in the business, as far as I was concerned, or guys like Strongbow. Mm-hmm. You know, so if Jay would, if to Jay, if you, if he would look at you and go, what the hell are you even doing here? Right. He, right. you know. What? what? I mean, there's some guys now that I don't know why they're there. But. Uh, let me ask you this, uh, with the passing of Bruno, how would that affect you personally? Oh, God, I was sad. I'm still sad. I mean... I still miss him. I, I scrolled on my phone to call somebody. I'll see Bruno's name. Wow. I can still hear his voice. I mean, we were close for 50 years. And every time I talked to him over the last few years, it was always Bruno taking his wife, Carol, to the hospital. Because his wife had a lot of problems. And I just never thought, I'd ever hear he died. It's Bruno. Right. But it was it was very, I got choked up. I could hardly talk. So, so you, you didn't know he had medical issues? It was well, I knew... Some things were going, and he had some heart issues, and and then I heard he was, and I tried to call him, no call. I talked to his kid, Daryl, and Bruno's in the hospital, and hopefully he's going to recover, but he's having some trouble. So I knew something was not good, and then I heard, you know, he didn't make it. Mm. Yeah, that was a sad thing. And then, talk about sadness, 
Then last week, one of his sons died. Yes. Danny. And uh, poor Carol, I mean, she's got to be in the... Do you keep in touch with Carol? We'll check in on her? Well, I used to when I called Bruno, but I don't call Carol. Right, right. You know, let me ask you this, art imitating life. Um, Was there any part of you, while you were in the WWE, that you were actually jealous of Bruno? Forget about the script, but... And how much he was your mentor? Was there ever? A point oh, that, jealous! Did you ever get jealous of him? Oh God, no! He was my idol. I go. mean, I copied everything I could from him and stole some psychology from this guy and this guy and and worked it into a, a Larry Zbysko character to where when the new Bruno was the old era when he was gone, basically early eighties, there was a new era taken off. Mm-hmm. But. I kept enough of the secrets from the old timers right. to where were all the new guys where it had to be some kind of weird gimmick, a character. Everybody was a the, the this, the that. Right, the, right. You know. But in terms of wrestling, it was even starting to go downhill in terms of belief. A different generation was coming. People were getting smarter. Mm-hmm. But with everything I've learned from Bruno and the old timers in the 80s, People still hated me. I could stand in the ring. I could stand in the ring and not do nothing, and people would chant, Larry sucks. And And I knew, so the bottom line, basically, no matter what they thought of wrestling, people believed Larry Zbysko in real life was an a-hole. And that's that's how I got him. And and if I can tell the story, um, it is now... The summer of 1980, I'm in junior high with my partner here, and after many, many months of begging for my own little black and white TV, I finally get one, and when my father gives it to me, he says the magic words, I won't tell mom you're watching Saturday Night Wrestling, because <laughs> it was on at midnight, midnight I wasn't yeah. supposed to be up that late. <laughs> so, here I am, I finally have my own TV, it's the summer, my grades were good enough, I win, and I start watching... And my timing is perfect because I always wanted to see wrestling on a regular basis, and now I can. And along comes this this good guy, and he's a really good guy, Larry Zbysko, and I like him, and I'm watching, and he's like, I can't get out of the shadow of Bruno unless he faces me. I'm respectfully asking for a match, and I'm saying to myself, he's a nice guy, give him his match. Bruno will do it, Bruno's a good guy. <laughs> and I'm 12 years old, I am eating this up, and... Larry has the match with Bruno, and I'm sitting there. I'm torn because I like both of them. And Larry Zabisco can't seem to outwit his mentor and goes crazy and slams him over the head with a chair. And I'm 12 years old, and there's blood oh, on my TV screen. A lot of blood. And there was no blood on TV back in those days, and I'm watching this guy bleed badly, and he's beating on him. I'm like, I hate you, Larry yeah. Zabisco. So let me ask you. Ah. How did this come about, this story that was basically the landmark of a career, basically? How did this come about, your feud with well, your mentor, who in real life you loved? It, How does this come to you? Who approaches you It was kind of this idea? It, it was my idea. It was his idea. Wow. Well, it was kind you of... masochist? Your, okay. Well, no, I'm not truthful, but <laughs> it, it was from all the stuff I've learned the previous years in the 70s from all of the guys, you know, okay. the timers. And at that point, Bruno broke his neck a little earlier with Stan, Stan Hansen, Hansen, and he retired. He said, I can't take it anymore. Okay. He was doing the broadcasting with Vince. And in the meantime, uh, I think Backlund was the champion, yep. Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. But the reality was, after Bruno, the, the audience wasn't ready for Bruno to leave yet. He was just so beloved. Yeah. Yeah. And the business... It was not drawing. It was starting to go down and okay. down because Bruno wasn't wrestling anymore. Okay. And Bob... Ba- do you think Backlund was a, was a poor draw in comparison? Well, well, Bob just couldn't fill his shoes. You know, I mean, in those days, Bob, who was an, a good wrestler, great athlete, and he was in such great shape that he didn't really look that big. He was, you know, like in such great physical condition, but he didn't look like a gorilla. Okay. So people were used to seeing Bruno versus Ivan Koloff yeah. or Professor Tanaka or Killer Kowalski. And now Bob Backlund's out there that looks like a high school kid at you know, 220 pounds. And the people just didn't buy it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just wasn't ready yet. So two questions for you on Backlund. So we grew up, that was the era we really yeah. grew up, right? Yep. 
Um, oh, yeah. We grew up disliking Backlund. Oh. Always looking for the heel to win. But as <laughs> we've gotten older, we have this huge respect for Backlund. True. But I've heard True. you in the past on some other interviews saying that, um, two questions for you, that you felt that Bob almost bankrupt roughly <laughs> the WWE. Is that... Is and that... Um, why did... C- if you felt that way. Why did Senior feel like he had to keep the strap on Backlund? Oh, well, you know, I... I don't know, and I don't know about, about the bankruptcy thing. I know that the business was going down okay. and down. Fair. And I also knew that the way the, the business was in those days, Vince McMahon Sr. and he had a couple partners, but they were also involved in other things. They financed boxers. They were at the horse track. I mean, they were promoters, promoters. But if, but if their wrestling business went down, that hurt them. So they, you know, would do whatever they could to make the most money they, you know, could and it was a time I saw business going down I knew the people were ready to not accept the fact Bruno's done mm-hmm. and I was a kid who was known as Bruno's protege right even other promoters would say hey what's that kid's name uh, that Bruno's protege oh well, Larry maybe we'll bring him in so I said you know I knew whoever could talk Bruno back into the ring for one more thing yeah. would become a big star. Plus, all the publicity came out of New York in the magazines. So if I could get Bruno to do this, it would make my career. Yep. So here's a poor guy, broke his neck recently. (laughs) Did I care? No! Nice. But I was taught not to care. I was taught to do what was good for business. And I realized, you know, for me, good business. If I get back in the ring with Bruno or anybody, I would be the guy. So you go to Bruno first. So I took a long shot and went okay. to Bruno because nothing's going to happen. Did if you he... go through the weeds on the no, side of the house? No, no. <laughs> this is a big favor. He might have to crawl up on this one. I don't no, know. No, I just ran it past him. And, okay. And he thought about it for a while. Okay. Because I, I, you know, but then... How long's a while? Did, were you like, like no, maybe, squirming for maybe a month, Maybe like a month or so. And then, Ooh, that's a long while. And then finally he came up with a way to do it. I mean, like, okay. it was my idea, so but Bruno it, right? was the one that... Okay. And along with that, it was the secret of programming. Yeah. The secret of programming is what sells out arenas every month. Thank the secret you. of programming is kind of what's lost today. Thank you. Oh, thank boy, you. Bingo. Thank you, Larry. You know, I mean, you got, a, you got an awesome production, yep. but the programming is weak. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Couldn't agree more. So, but, so that was all set up, and... And then, but Bruno and Vince McMahon Sr. had some things to work out before this would happen, too, because Bruno wanted right. to make sure he did, got a Did Junior a have any clout at that time? Any? You know, I really don't think Vince Jr., I mean, he did, He was quiet when we saw him because it was his dad's show. Because on the surface, he's just the announcer to the viewing audience yeah. at that time. And I really don't know how much Vince was involved with the business back then. He's probably, you know... I had a meeting once with Vince and Vince Jr., and we were talking, but it was you know, Vince Sr.'s you know, show. Okay. And uh, Vince was kind of quiet in those days, but he was you know, sucking everything in and learning the business, and you could see what he did. What did you so, think of Vince as an announcer? I loved him. As he, was great. I thought he, he was great. He was a one-man show. It never gets talked about nowadays because it's, it's almost so far in the rearview mirror with Vince. And you know what? I got to say, Vince, I think he wanted to be a wrestler, but his dad didn't want him to be one. Oh. Really? I think, if I remember right, you know, because Vince was into working out. Yeah, he, he was huge. He was a good-sized guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. Oof. And, uh... I, well, you know but, what? The but, but the he one, did become a wrestler, right? Kind of, yeah, he, he became well, one well, of the biggest he, deals he, in history. Well, that's, what I, was, that's what I was going to say. I yeah. mean, later down the road, anyway, the dude. stuff Vince did was the best stuff and they was, had oh going. God, it was great. He, he was the best be, guy they had. Bischoff said if there was the one guy who could have had to turn the war, it would have been Mr. McMahon, the character. Yeah. Right, so I want to keep us on track. Yeah, absolutely. So you, Can I ask? Bruno's making that decision. and There you go. Well, then he worked out a deal with Vince Sr. because... It was so much because Bruno wanted so much percent okay. of the house, and I had a meeting with them because I was saying to them, "Look, honestly, guys, I'm getting you know stabbed and shot at, and I'm drawing the money, and it's <laughs> and and, but Backlund's making the, more oh money than God. I am, right? So that didn't seem fair. That's and, not and, fair at all. And Vince <laughs> Senior was good about it. He said, "Well, we realize Backlund's not super hot right now, and we understand." And, and so we worked out a deal where I got a percent, which was. Close, but a little less than Bruno. Right. 
you know, which was okay. I was thrilled about because in those days that was you know big money. What okay. what that angle you know led up to was because we had like three matches at the gardens and yes. spectrums and all over. Shea Stadium was kind of like the, the big the blow off after a six month program, which in those days that was long. Yeah. That was you know, plus they raised the prices, so we broke records. And uh, well, you know. after you created this immense, immense, immense heat, and we used to wonder about this even back then. How come you were never paired with the unholy trio, any one of the three, Blassie, Wizard, Albano? Why? Uh, why did that never happen for for you? Is it because you were so good on the mic yourself, you didn't need them? Or? Well, you know what? Yeah, I don't think it was even thought about that much. But right after the Bruno feud. It was kind of, things kind of were changing, and uh, I made the decision to go to a different territory, because the other territory, I got so much publicity from that stuff, I was, you know, big news. If I would have stayed in the WWWF in those days, you know, I would have been losing it, so I tried to, you know, it was a lot of political maneuvers to keep yourself on top in those days. But if you stayed in the territory too long, you get to be old news. Mm. So if you got it really hot one place... Well, and the WWE or the WWF, uh, they were face... You know, the champions were always the face, so you were amazing heel. You, you, your lifespan there can only last yeah, a certain life. Yeah, right. I mean, the, the, the heels... Because the belt kept staying on back. Well, the heels don't have a long <laughs> lifespan naturally because sooner or later, the good guy's got to beat them. Yeah. Right. Or you don't have a hero. Right. You know? right. Which is different from the NWA, right? Because the bad guys are one of them. The, the, you know, yeah, Ric Flair the was heels the, the face, and he was always a bad guy. So, real quick, we know you leave the, <laughs> the w- face of the company. We know yeah. you leave the WWE. Um, what was it like working for Vince Senior? I know you really didn't work for Junior, but can you tell well, us you maybe know the difference between the two? The thing, I, I because I was young at the time, I, I really didn't deal with Vince Senior like a top guy would deal with him. I. Bruno was taking care of all that, and I was kind of caught in the middle of Bruno and Vince Sr. So Bruno's almost like your negotiator. Your well, Bruno was telling me what to do with oh, some okay. things, too, because I didn't know. Sure. Did, you know Bruno, did Bruno ever call you on the phone or come to your house and complain about Sr., like no, taking advantage of it? No, no, we, like we talk on the phone, and it was never a taking advantage of it. It's the way the business was. Mm-hmm. If you didn't speak up for your money, you'd get what they give you. And if you spoke, you know, but, but but if you stood up for yourself, they may be pissed about it for a day or two, but they had more respect for you because they knew you were a sharp guy like they were. You know, I mean, if you were stupid, they took advantage. Okay, go ahead. Well, here's, you know, here's your so, forty bucks. So speaking of that, we uh, we have a show on Sundays, the Evan Ginsberg show from eleven to one o'clock. He'll be on with a couple of guests tomorrow. Um, he's a big proponent that Vince at this point. This company should be taking care of the older wrestlers and helping them out. Uh, can you weigh you in now? Now, so you know, medical, like medical pensions for guys who thirty years ago. So my oh, point, like I guess, that. my question to should you is: anything like that why don't them? why don't why didn't you guys try to unionize? And two, do you believe that you were taken care of well enough that? That was up to you to make sure that your retirement. Well, was yeah, in I mean, the business was an individual thing in the old day. I mean, I don't know if the company given a pension because no one ever paid into a pension. Right. You know, I mean. Okay. So it's not like they had pension plans. Do you think it's an individual business today? Well, yeah, in a different way. I mean, in my days we had territories. You can go to one territory and make as much as you could and before they buried you, you went to a new one. You were until so you kept having a place to go to make money. Nowadays, to make big money and be a big star, it's really the WWE. So you have to be smart enough and good enough to get over with the crowd enough so the WWE wants to keep you. Some guys have been there a long time. Some guys, you know, don't make it a long time. Some guys get hurt. Some guys shouldn't be there. Right. Yeah. When you left Vince, you went on to the NWA. Was this culture shock for you? And also. You followed it up by going to the AWA. In a span of six years, you basically crossed over the big three, WWF, NWA, and AWA. What was the difference between the three promotions, and was it culture shock going from one to the other? Well, you know, it wasn't culture shock for me. It worked out. It was probably more culture shock for guys going up to the new WWF. But aren't you well, little... how about going into the NWA and you're no longer with Bruno? Well, that was you know, I was like, going to say. That dynamic you're not under no that wing of protection. Well, but right. here's the thing. 
Because I because I was with Bruno, yeah. and because I had such a publicity with the heat from you know, the Bruno feud, okay. when I went to territories, they were really nice you, to you me. Would, yeah, you would, and I was smart enough to know how to go. work with them. Yeah. And the AWA was a great territory that's, in that's those days. With Bruno solidified everything. Yeah, and it did. It was great. So, how do you feel about Ric Flair's comments when he said Bruno can only sell out the Garden and a little part of the Northeast, and he couldn't transition to any <laughs> other territory? What are your feelings about that comment? Oh, well, Bruno wasn't a big Flair fan. I mean, to Bruno, Flair is a routine guy. You've seen one match, you've seen them all. What's your feeling on Flair? Well, I mean, you got to give Flair credit. Oh, I, I mean, Flair's yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, Flair's you know, obviously one of the great ones. He, he had a career that spanned a long time. I'm amazed how long he went physically. I mean, even, you know, I did broadcasting for 10 years. Rick was still wrestling. <laughs> right. But uh, I think there was just some. Some things, you know, Flair might have said when, when Bruno hears it, then Bruno gets mad and says stuff back. Did but you, Bruno didn't really care too much for Flair in terms of being all that great. He was a, a routine guy, colorful guy, could talk great, you know, but uh, did you, you feel, can't take nothing away from Rick either. Did Rick you feel did, Bruno right? got a little bitter towards the end because of the money these guys were making in the, in the mid-80s? The business changed the so business much. The business changed after Hogan so came much. to WWF. Must have been a shock well, it changed a lot. It's not that he got bitter. You know what it was with some of the old-timers? It was almost kind of an humiliating embarrassment where they wanted to hide because they spent their whole lives to the point of not having friends, not talking to your wife. You, don't, you, didn't, mm-hmm. you never smartened your wife up. Mm-hmm. Their families, you never smartened your family. Nobody. Right. So they came from a totally... Different philosophy, Vern and Bruno and Crutch and all the old sure. school guys. Mm-hmm. So when when the when the business was changing, and it wasn't no one specifically that changed the business, humanity changed. Right. You know, humanity now. Where twenty years ago you'd vote for the president or the vice president. You know, but nowadays. No one believes in politicians. Mm. They're all smart to all the... I'm running. You didn't hear They're me. all smart to the corruption of the politicians yeah, and what really goes on in Washington. And yeah. I'm glad Trump's draining the swamp. <laughs> you know, but, but, but back then, so... <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Someone's going to be t- doing text you now. I'm with you. Everything's fine. But someone's Larry, I used to be a fan. No longer. Yeah, so it just got to a point where... The fans were, humanity was changing, and the old-timers didn't want them to lose that belief because they knew if the fans believe this is real, we'll make right. more money and it'll be better. Right. But it was going the other way I, out of a natural progression of humanity. How did you feel when kayfabe, you know, how did, well, you, how did that make you feel? I was in the generation that kind of went, I was one of the old, last of the old school mentality yeah. guys, yeah. but I was going through an era where it was changing. And the one thing I noticed, because I'd be listening to matches before my match, like in the AWA and NWA, people would start once in a while, oh, boring, because now they're starting <laughs> yeah. to get smart. Yeah, that was but good. I could go out there, yeah, and they good. would chant, Larry sucked, and I knew yeah. how to work them to it. They were booing it, and there'd be riots. Yeah. The 16-minute stall. I'd come in, <laughs> I'd come in after a match, the Road Warriors would say, oh, my God. Oh, what an easy crowd this is! Because right. it was, you know. Right. And then they go out. Their match was dead quiet. Yeah. And then they wow. come back, and the hawk would be bitching. Right. Well, you what? You said it was an easy house out there. I said, yeah. If you know how to yeah, work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say that to me, Larry. Yeah. You know. Gonna, you finally get a hold of AWA. You finally get a heavyweight world title. I don't know what took so long. I was talking to you, but in the back, I couldn't stand the fact that Backlund, you should have taken the belt from Backlund. I don't <laughs> oh give a boy. damn. Oh, I can't boy. stand Stop it. it. He was, well, he he the, the man's got a point. Especially after the San Martino thing, it was right for the picking. Anyway. He's on a roll. on a roll. You finally get the AWA World Heavyweight title. You do a program with the, the late, great Mr. Saito, um, where you guys exchanged the belt. Yeah, that was times. good. Um, I wanted to ask you, did you want... This title was this something that you know you were, you know, did you always want to be the world heavyweight champion? Was it that important to you when you finally got it? Because I remember we read it in the mags. We were like, about damn time. Yeah, that's true. You know, did you, did you feel like or, you know, 
Really? With such marks, he's laughing his ass well, off. But it's no, true. I know. You guys are great. I built on him. Hold on. Hey, Larry! I want to be honest. Were you, help, were you helping out your father, in Vern, who was having trouble with the territory? Oh, shit. I didn't even Well, know. I was there twice once before, and once when Vern should have shut down. Right. Really? But, okay. Okay. Well, wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. Were you really, like, did you always want oh, to win a world the belt. title? Did no, you really no, want okay. the AWA title, or are you like, here's, I want the WWA. Let me help Here's the deal. Okay. Of a professional wrestler in psychology. I didn't care about a belt one way or another. It was a pain in the ass to drag around all through the airports. Yeah, but didn't you get the most money what, when you had the title? Does what the what you wanted to do was make the most money you could. And sometimes I would make more money being the heel going after the champion okay. than if I had the belt. But then there was times when it was right for me to have the belt, and then they could bring in baby faces out that were already known. Well, you guaranteed yourself a main event if you had the belt, yeah. and you keep bringing these guys in. But I was a main event anyway, right. kind of. So, to me, it wasn't so much the belt, it was to make the most money you can, and at one time, especially at the end there, you know, for me to have the belt, it worked out good, because we brought, like, Slaughter, and who was a well-known right. yeah. good guy to have a match with, and yeah. Harley Race, and Nikita Koloff. But, when you but about- we were trying to tell Vern in the late 80s, would you please shut down? Well, let me ask you, that towards the end, did he ever, because he's known for, he yeah, stiffed he a lot of people you? in the end, right? Did he ever stiff you? Oh, no, well, he's my father-in-law at the end. So, but he did stiff people, right? Well, you know yeah. what, he... I wow. I never heard that about Burley. Really? Okay. The AWA was a hard territory to get into because it was a great place to work. And here's one of the main reasons. Once you made good money there. But because the weather was so horrible in the winter times, you made a lot of money because people would go inside to watch up. You couldn't right. go outside. Yeah. But in the summertime, between getting out of the house, cabin fever, and all the farming... Vern really didn't run shows a lot in the summer, okay. just some TVs. So in the summertime, you really had a nice kind of three-month semi-vacation mm-hmm. where you still made money, but then in the winter, it was a gold mine. So it was a great territory you know, to be in and not easy to get in. But did it, yeah. make, did it make sense to you what Vern was trying to do, try, trying to battle back against? you know, No, he wasn't doing it right. Did you try to talk to him and yeah, say, you're you doing the wrong to, thing here, you you're making this, a mistake? You should do that. Yeah, some guys, some guys <laughs> tried. How about okay. you? Did you try? Well, yeah, I, I mean, tried. You're in the household that breaking bread. Yeah, no, I tried. I mean, but, but he just had, yeah, I mean, and talent-wise, I mean, you know, they had the new era going with the macho and the hulk and the hot rod and the super fly and everybody else. And Vern, after 25 and years, still has... still has Nick Bockwinkle and Greg Gunn. Just, so wow, yeah. He needed some new stuff, and yeah. it just wasn't... Yeah. And old school promoters like Vernon the Crockett's, they were happy with what they had. They made a mint right. with the territories. Yeah. But Vince, he was the young guy of the crew, and he saw the new era coming. He saw the nationwide. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to change, but it was now a new era. And, and Vince saw it, and it was his turn. He was yeah. the new promoter. Yeah. And the other guys were, you know, they, they lived their life. And he had the balls to do it. But he saw it coming, and he did. Let me tell you, there should be a statue of Vince with Bruno and Andre. <laughs> Absolutely. He, I agree with that. I okay. mean, if people knew some of the risks he yeah. took to oh make God. the company big, imagine. I mean, how many times he put his house. He everything. For, yeah, I yep. mean, yep. Vince yep. Is, is one of the greatest promoters yep. ever. And I made. actually think it was very... It was ballsy. Potentially dangerous what he was trying to do. Like, you know, getting... I bet you he got his share of death threats trying to, like, you know, branch the product out across the country and then the world. Well, I don't think about that because the promoters didn't know, but just the, 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 the chances he took with getting Mania off the ground sure, sure, by, you know, like sure. putting up his house for, sure. like, well, collateral. So at that, at that if Mania point, didn't draw, he would have lost when, everything. When Mania was right. coming out, are you at that point are you thinking, man, I got to get back there or... Well, I wasn't really, I was kind of happy where I was all the time. I was making money, having a good time. Right. And, and the WWE had all their characters, so they were kind of full. And if I went in there, I could see them not really using me as a top, top guy because they had, at that time, their top, top guys. So it was better for me to Just protect go back and forth between the AWA and the NWA. Here's a weird one for you. I wanted to ask you what your favorite match in the AWA was, but that's not the weird part. I wanted to ask you about boxing Scott Ledoux. 
Oh, that was a classic. <laughs> that was a classic. I mean, Scott was a... How did that happen? Why yeah, Scott Ledoux? I don't know, but they've had a couple over time, you know, with Ali versus Inoki. And... You got to train a little bit for, uh, a little bit for that one? Or... Yeah, I took him in the ring a little bit. Yeah, but Scott did a hell of a job, I thought. I mean, I watched yeah, it did. one time, and I when did. you look at it, you'll swear to God, that's a that that was that was real. It's a little yeah. better than uh, Piper and... Uh... I don't, that's, that's a great fight. <laughs> but I, thought, I, I, I thought the thing Shut that up. Ledoux came off really good in the ring. Scott did yeah, a I good thought you, job. I thought you both came off good in the yeah. match. You know, but I was so good, I could work with a broom. <laughs> wow. It's like AJ Styles. AJ Styles could wrestle a broom. He could. He could. What was your favorite AWA match, if I can ask? How about the program with Slaughter, perhaps? Or maybe when... Oh, God. Did you good. retire Bachwinkle as well as Bruno? We know about Oh, you. yeah, of course I did. Yeah, there you go. You have a favorite one from that promotion? You know what? I mean, there was a bunch of classic favorite ones. But I, I, I got a few big compliments over the careers from... One from Luthez one time and one nice. from Bachwinkle. I remember me and Sergeant Slaughter had a match in Chicago. And I'm trying to think what the exact comment was. But but we came back, and Nick Bockwinkle came up to me, and he says, Larry, that was the greatest match I've ever seen. I mean, nice. and I had a match with one guy, Scott Casey, a cowboy, one time in Texas some years ago, and Luke Thez was the special referee. And after the match, Luke Thez came up to me and said, Larry, and I didn't know the guy. Mm. He said, you're the greatest wrestling heel I've ever seen. And that, that was, was like one of the fence. biggest compliments. Harley Race oh told me one time it was the best hour of Broadway he ever saw me and Tommy Rich. What's a big name, Larry? So I, yeah, I, I felt really good oh about was it. There one, was there one guy that you just couldn't work with? It was just as great as you are that you weren't able to, to make it work? Not that I really worked with. I mean, if they were that horrible, I'd work around them. Okay. You know, I mean. Anyone but, you dreaded, like, you know, finding out you were facing? I know, it's hard to throw people... No, to be it. honest with you, there wasn't, because I, I was so good at... There you go. If, you know, if they you were an a-hole, I already worked them, and they think I liked them, and, but in the ring I could do things. And I could really wrestle, too, oh, so absolutely. I could do some things. And... Absolutely. All right, Larry, I'm going to ask you this question, because this is my favorite question. Uh-oh. What is your biggest payday? Oh, that is that is his favorite question. I do look. You don't have to give me an exact number, but maybe it could give me. But they all everybody's answer some form or another. Some form or another. And what event was it? I'm trying to think. I mean, for the day was it Jay? Because with the biggest money, I mean, you know, the WCW contract. Yeah, that's big money. Yeah, there we go. But but that was but you know for the year though you had a contract for a year three fifty four hundred grand for working a day a week and all the benefits. Ooh, week. So, yeah, no, no kidding. Oh, and I, I was insulted at first. What? <laughs> you want me to what? Work one day? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I do nitro. And then I <laughs> this do is ridiculous. Day. A, day, a day and a half a week. What the hell is How this? How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> you know who I am? Took all of you, Mister Turner. <laughs> and I want a pension on top of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My and pension. medical. Yeah. Meanwhile, Bruno, take the job, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. What, what are we talking about? Biggest payday for an event that oh, you... I mean, for a one-night deal. I yeah. mean, Shea Stadium was big for its day. Okay. But I think the one biggest one I made was thirty grand for the one shot. Nice. That was the Japan thing with me and Saida. Nice. Really? I think wow. that, if, if I remember right, Japan. That was thirty grand cash, and you'd come Sweet. back to the country with thirty grand stuck in a money belt. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Telling customs, do you have five thousand on you? <laughs> well, certainly not. <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, I have twelve hundred in t-shirts, sir. <laughs> yeah. That Thank is you. great. Great. And back then, the guys, you, you you could get, you know, a Rolex that would be five grand here would be 300 bucks in Japan because in those days, the yen was so different. Sure, right. So you'd have guys coming back with 10 Rolexes they spent a 1000 bucks on selling them for 30 grand to people. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe some experience with Andre the Giant that you might have had? Oh, God, Andre, yeah. Good friend of mine. We, we traveled a bunch, especially in Japan. But uh, it was a classic with Andres. Nice guy. We played cribbage a lot. We played cards. But it was always an interesting story. I, Andre got off the plane and walked down the, you know, the hall. I, I would always walk behind him a little bit because I like to watch the show. And as Andre was walking, like, you know, from the gate, there'd be hundreds of people coming his way. And they'd all walk by him but not look at him like he wasn't even there. Even though, you know, Yo, he's right. there. but <laughs> as soon as he took two or three steps past him, 
everybody stopped and turned around. <laughs> so as Andre's walking down, people are coming like nothing's happening. As soon as he leaves, now you got a hundred people all turning around, looking at him from the back, going, "Oh my God!" And you know, stuff like that. One time, me and Gurria were following a little guy named Freddie. Freddie in Boston was a referee, a little skinny guy. But he had a big beat-up car with a broken seat that Andre could fit in. So we put Andre in Freddie's car. Freddie was driving, and me and Gurria were following him to the building. And Freddie pulls up to the stop sign, kind of a rainy, drizzly day. And for some reason, Freddie pulls out of the stop sign, makes a turn. Someone comes along and hits Freddie in the bumper. Boom, they have like a little bumper bender in the, in the road. Okay. So the, the one car the skids and stops. Me and Tony are sitting in the car looking at this, and little skinny Freddie gets out of the car, and the guy sees Freddie gets out of his car and starts walking over to little Freddie rolling up his sleeves. Oh, boy. You stupid son of a bitching kid. As he's saying this, the door opens, and all of a sudden, (laughs) there's a gigantic afro. Yeah, it right. was it exploded bigger than the door. The, of the apple's car. bigger than the average size person. Yeah, alone. Go it, on. it popped up. Andre started getting up. By the time the guy got to the back of the car, Andre stands up, and the guy looks up and he starts rolling his sleeves down. Going, "You've got to be kidding me!" Oh, and he runs back to his car and shuts it and sits there. Because they're waiting for the cops. Because there was no cell phones or you, nothing back then. You want then. a peanut? Oh, my but it was, God. But it was always something like that with Andre. I know? love it, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> How about your opinion on Hulk Hogan while we're on it? The Hulk? Yeah. Hey, you can't take anybody that managed to become a big star in this business. Mm-hmm. Hey, you can't take anything away from him. you think he should be forgiven already? Enough is enough for Well, I really don't know what the story was. Right. Right. But it had something to do with a racial crack or something? Somebody taped him a bunch of years back, and then they tried to make money off it, and then they got their asses sued, and then they lost, and now Hogan is basically dealing with the damaged leftover residue of the uh, whole incident. And, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, to know... That? Did I describe yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, you can't take nothing away from the Hulk, because he had an error. Right. You know, I mean, him and some other guys, I mean, you can take what he says with a grain of salt, because, you know, it took Hulk and Macho and Piper and Snooker and Andre... To sell out with one Bruno would mm-hmm. if they sold out, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but I think I think at the end of his career, Hulk was getting maybe I don't know too grand. He was doing some things that were so silly. Like didn't didn't he do some like it was a thing where like uh, who's that chick with the big giant ass uh, Kardashian? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it was in this what? thing. What's horrible? I don't even know what the big deal is. Anyway. <laughs> I'm kind of with him on this. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's, it's know, overrated, it's just, I'll tell you that. She's got a nice ass. Oh, it's so overrated. Nice. Like, you need to, 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 to make her a billion, cabillionaire? She's overrated. It's nice huge. Ass. Anyway. <laughs> and th- that's okay. just a turn off to me. I can't yeah, help I it. They, they must really smell. Like. So. <laughs> that's awesome. But. You were saying? I forget now. I, I totally forgot. forgot. <laughs> he was doing something with Kardashian. Hogan was doing something with Kardashian. Oh, no, no, no. Two thousand no. dollars at Kardashian's. No, but, but but back then oh, everybody oh, was oh. releasing some stupid sex tape. Right. Like some right. someone had sex and it was right. snuck out. And I think that was done on purpose with some of these showbiz people to yeah. get publicity. Yeah. And it looks right. to me like Hogan tried to do that same thing. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't think a lot of people group. want to see Hulk Hogan yeah, have sex, man. No. But, but then it's just the love spot. I, I, I think that was a total, and I, I think there was stuff he didn't need to do. Right. Larry, he really kind of hurt himself is yeah. what he did. You know, in the 70s, I don't know how prevalent drugs were, uh, but obviously in the 80s, that's when wrestling and drugs and human growth hormones, steroids and everything else uh you were in those locker rooms. Did you ever try to give these kids some advice, or you just you know just um, took care of yourself type of deal? Well, you know what? Like in the seventies when I started, there was no drugs, right? Uh, not even pot. And the guys I hung out with, Bruno, Dominic. I mean, there was no drugs in your circle. I uh, you know, I, I saw a little bit of pot in college, right? Yeah, but I never got into the the drug thing. I wanted to be a wrestler, and there was never any drugs around in the seventies. But then when I went down, but then the, the, the pot started coming around and people would smoke pot. But then I would see people that smoked pot were better to hang out with than the drunks because the drunks were always getting in fights and being nasty. <laughs> and, right. Imagine that. It was stupid, you know, right. all that. Bret Hart said well, that. But then it wasn't, again, it's not so much the wrestling. It's wrestling makes the most money it can when it follows what goes on with the human race and where humanity is. 
Bingo. You know, Bruno was the American dream story of the immigrant starving that made a success in America, good guy. And then there was an era of starting with like the Terminator and Dave Draper and Arnold Schwarzenegger that had such an awesome look. Mm-hmm. You know, because the guys before them, Charles Atlas was 210 pounds. He looked like a right. starving geek next to Arnold right. or Dave Draper or some other guys they had. And people were, oh, my God. So wrestling followed that. And the guys that started winding up being stars were the guys with the surrealistic looks. And people bought it for a little bit because no one knew about steroids. Mm -hmm. You know, and then when they found out, it was like, and that was one of Bruno's things was a lot of legitimate athletes that are tough guys weren't getting the, the, the good push because the guy who didn't know a squat and wasn't even a good athlete, some of them, Looked amazing because they were gassed to the gills. Right. Well, you were you you are a big guy and were a really big guy when you were wrestling. Well, I was you never thick. hit you never hit he the gas. Yeah, he was not, he, natural. No, I never used yeah. the gas. I mean, I was like five foot eleven and three quarters. Never hit six foot. And the most I ever weighed was like two hundred and forty eight pounds. Almost hit two fifty. Like Bruno was about a little shorter than me, but his bones were so big. Right. But I worked out with him, and when I was twenty one at two hundred and forty pounds. I benched 465 and a half pounds with the one-second pause. Wow. Which nice. for a guy who weighed 240. That's great. Bro. You know, it was a lot. But until I think Billy Graham might have been like the first guy that came in from the West Coast that had that ridiculous look. <laughs> and then everybody started, you know, Hulk and, you know, half the guys that are dying now. Or What did Bruno think of Superstar Graham? That's a great question. That's, that is because this, to me, is he's the... That's that's a, a total spark. poster of the complete opposite of a Bruno. Super, you know, yeah, this guy's not the not the, the the natural built wrestler. He's got that totally flamboyant over the top thing going on. Yeah, you know, I really don't know to be honest with really? you. Really, what did I you mean, think of Superstar? I, I don't remember anything negative that Bruno would say I'm about just curious, you know Billy you know. or anything. What did you think about Billy when he came? Well, out? when he first came around, I mean, he was a top heel, and I was working with him at the clubs, and he was a night off. Because his matches were real short, and mm-hmm. but I never had any trouble with Billy. In fact, but when his first, when he first came around with that look, I didn't think steroids either. Right, you right. know. Right. But then, uh, what well, you thinking? Wow, this guy's really naturally wow, big. He's you guys are jeez, look at him. Look at this guy. I remember one time <laughs> he was out in the ring in the garden, and me and Vince Senior are standing there looking at him, and we look at each other, and we go, "My God, yeah, you know, yeah." But uh, but then you know. It started happening with everybody, and then even the guys that were there that, I mean, I know Dino Bravo was a good-looking guy with a good body. All of a sudden, six, eight months later, I see him. He's over 300 pounds. He's swelled up to the gills. He looked better at 260. But the guys were doing it. They didn't even need to do it. They just thought they should. Well, they had to, right? They were afraid that they'd lose their spot, right? Yeah, I don't think they would have, but they were afraid they would have. So now as you're progressing, you're in WCW. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm only assuming... You're in these locker rooms, you're announcing, you're wrestling, whatever. These guys are popping pills, they're snorting coke, doing whatever else. I mean, what are you, what are you thinking? Well, you know, I mean, guys kayfabe stuff. It wasn't like, you know, you go in the dressing room and the guys would never really get screwed up until after the matches. Then they go to a bar and yeah, drink. It was and right, in, in right, the right. 80s, there was cocaine around just about everywhere. But it wasn't a weird thing. It was, a, it was social. Right. I mean, you'd walk in somewhere, there'd be a movie director, a lawyer, a judge, yeah. other Sorry. people that would have a little Shocking. bottle, and they hey, how you doing? You want a bump? Yeah. It was like a bump. the social thing. Can I buy you a beer? Hey, have a bump. Everybody's looking at the floor afterwards for the leftovers. Yeah, yeah but it wasn't Riding a thing. And I tried it a little bit sometimes because everybody had it, but I didn't like the uh, feeling of being wired. Because yeah. if you did one little bump, Ah, you could wake up a little bit. Do a nervous wreck, though. But if you did two or three, yeah. 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 So it didn't. I I was lucky, and I was really lucky. I never drank. You know, I, mean, I tried it. I puked. Okay. So I never had any fun. I never drank. Yeah, that's not fun. Why would you, you know, go back and do it again? I mean, the coke. That was great. I did a little bit of coke here and there, but I couldn't do it a lot. I just how, how about how about the ring rats? Did you enjoy the ring rats? No, I was. What? You better. Have I wasn't them. big. On, <laughs> I wasn't one of the guys that. Messed around with a lot of rats. Oh, okay, okay. That's okay. another story just to how I am, because I'm... That's fair. I couldn't touch nothing unless it was a 10. Oh, okay. 
There so speaking as opposed of, to Monty, who goes for five two. Yeah, most of the I'm like two to threes work for five, me, man. Five, oh, yeah, five twos are as good oh, as a ten, God. right? Monty? <laughs> That's right. If you do the math, why not? Why not? That is brutal. Speaking of tens, uh, I don't know. Are you watching the product currently at all? Oh yeah, well, me and my buddy Terry, we watch it every week. Oh, there you go. Cool. Every how Monday, you, I go to his house, cool. and his boys That's love cool. me. How do you like the women? And we watch it, too, so we, I know what's going on with their men. I knew you'd get to the so. women. How do you find do you the, like women the women today? Hey, uh, well, I keep calling them divas, but I guess they're not divas anymore. No right? longer. Okay, I like the diva thing. Hey, some of them women are ridiculously athletic. Yeah. I mean, some of them are very impressive. I mean, sure. A long a long way from Fabulous Moolah. Right? Oh, yeah. No, I mean... <laughs> fabulous no, I mean, Moolah. There's a few of them. I mean, Charlotte Flair is, She's amazing. is yes. great. There's a chick, Alicia Fox. Super He's athletic. In the, what in, what in about Alexa Bliss? Alexa Bliss. Well, Alexa Bliss just kind of started. She's, even, She's amazing, isn't she? What? I'm trying. I think, <laughs> what? I, I like Amanda. I mean... Yeah, she's doing a good job, Alexa. <laughs> Alexa, oh, whatever. But That's I've seen some. Impression. I've seen some chicks that are really, you know, yeah. like really impressed me in terms of yeah. how athletic they are. Do you do you think um, Sasha Banks's ass? Oh my God! Attend? What? He Sasha probably Banks doesn't even ass. know what the hell you're talking about. I know. Sasha. We were, talk, they they we were talking about fan club Kim Kardashian. Oh, Kardashian's ass being a, they, a mess. determined that it's the greatest ass ever made. Ever so made. basically, they want to fall oh, in the hall of fame. Yes. Did I did I get that in? I am. Uh, Banks's ass should be the number one bust in the ass hall of fame. That's what I said. I'm sorry, I agree. Yeah, it's a publicly traded company. I don't think you're allowed <laughs> to. You know that he's you helping. Cannot oh, think God, of God. someone's ass. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you a funny story. One time, in the this was in this was in WCW in the last days of WCW. Days, yeah, right. when they were already right. ruined. Yeah, days. And they had a they had a sensor there, and now they're doing. Now they started with. For some reason, doing these stupid skits. Oh God! I hate skits. Oh God! But Everybody we... does. Yeah. But they start doing the skits. So now you'd have a guy and you have a chick doing a skit with some guy and a camera guy, and he's zooming into like a shot of her butt, <laughs> and all of a sudden, then then they had to stop. So the TBS, you know, a guy who kept it clean or whatever the rules, uh, yeah, standards, yeah, yeah, yeah. would look at it, and he made this comment that I wet my pants. It was getting so stupid. He say. <laughs> Well, okay, uh, you can shoot the ass, but you can't touch the ass. <laughs> That's great. I, you got to be kidding. This business is going. Oh <laughs> All right, going, so going. we got to wrap it up. Um, I will say, though, if Sasha's ass ever gets into the WWE Hall of Fame, Larry, you, you will induct her. I induct his ass? I'm sorry. I'm already taken by her. <laughs> no, please. Anyway, um, we want to thank you, sir, for gracing us <laughs> with you. your presence. And uh, well, that was fun. It went to quick you. too. There you go. Yeah, well, you are a fantastic, and you certainly are a legend and one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, absolutely, and in everybody's book. So yep. again, we want to thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for letting me be here. Love y'all. <laughs> all right. So this has been Monty and the Pharaoh. Catch us Thursday from eight oh five to nine p.m. We're back tomorrow with Abdul the Butcher at Again. 1 to 2, and he'll be live in studio. And don't forget the Evan Ginsberg Show. He has Hollywood on uh, from the gorgeous ladies of oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, anyway, I'm Mike Monty. This is the Pharaoh. We'll see you later. Later. <laughs> that wasn't bad, was it? You-